the new perspective. New perspective. That's the shifts yeah. in perspective you have. And that's the new perspective. To the new perspective i hope you guys are all doing well thank you for tuning in so before we get started i just want to remind you guys that i do in fact have a patreon that will be linked in the description of this podcast so if we met in real life like would you buy me a cup of coffee to have a conversation with me like if so just think of the patreon as kind of like that right just a little support for the work that I do. So, today I am joined by Charm Chandler. He is a poet, playwright, and aspiring novelist. I am very glad to have you on, Charm. I believe this is going to be a very intriguing conversation. So, Charm, can you just start by giving us a little introduction of yourself? Yeah, I'm glad to be here. I'm Charm Chandler, and pretty much I'm a writer in all the ways that one can imagine a writer can be. Except for technical writing, I usually just leave myself in the domain of creative writing. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm very excited to hear more about it, honestly. Like, Charm has like a hundred different interests on the most abstract things in life. So listeners, you are definitely in for a treat. But have you ever <laughs> been on a podcast before? No, this is my first time. So I'm a little nervous actually, but I'm so <laughs> glad to be here. Yes, no, you're going to be completely fine. What else was I going to ask? So have, do you listen to podcasts yourself though? On the very rare occasion, I do listen to Welcome to Night Vale, but usually I tend to avoid podcasts because I'm more of a reader than listener when it comes to anything. Mm, this can be something new and exciting, and I'm glad to have you on. You seem like the perfect person to record with. So getting into it, something that's very unique about you is that you write plays like I haven't met or any other playwrights. So I just went to a play over the weekend and thoroughly enjoyed it. It was like watching a movie, but even more real. And I haven't really developed that, I guess, love of plays yet until then. So Charm, what first got you interested in writing plays? So originally, I wanted to be a novelist. And when I entered into my undergraduate in college, what ended up happening was I feared becoming an English major because I thought it would make me hate writing. And so yeah. I switched to theater instead. And in my university, there's not really much of an emphasis on playwriting. It's always acting or design or something thereof. And I did that for a few years before I realized I don't want to be an actor I just want to write. <laughs> and so I switched back to my English major and I put theater as my third minor because my first two other minors are actually Japanese and Chinese. So going back to what got me into plays, 
to me, it was just another version of being, of drama, of passion, of existing in this special space called the stage, that allows you to witness these moments and these stories, which are so impossible to have in the real world. Well, not impossible, but rarely encountered. And so I decided that I wanted to write, but because I couldn't really let go of the fact that I wanted to be a novelist and a poet, amongst other things, a lot of the things that I do write in relation to plays and my interests tend to be experimental works, things that blur the boundary between reader, written work, and whatever that written work is supposed to accomplish. No, I did want to ask you, like, what specifically your plays are about and i do love that about plays that you are able to tell a story that can bring you into this other world and you're actually experiencing it it's very different from just passively watching a movie and i really love that so what are your plays i guess usually about like topics or the theme what are you what are you trying to convey through your plays i think if i could steal a quote from one of my favorite antagonists from this anime called boogie pop and others <laughs> in short it's everything is uncertain nothing is unnatural so i think about that often when i write my plays and how that comes to manifest is I write about abstractions, personifications. I write about metaphysical entities experiencing metaphysical things that are so far removed from the human experience that I can't really say, oh, it's a tragedy similar to Hamlet's or something thereof. So. Mm. A majority of my plays tend to be so out of bounds, if I may say myself, or if I can even say that, that um, to reduce it into a few uh, bare-bones sentences, I suppose I could say one of my works, Deciding All Things, that's the title, essentially is about the love between the personifications of existence and void and what it means for void to cope with the fact that existence might be going away because she wants to create everything all at once. Everything so. everywhere all at once. That's why that <laughs> yeah. I know it's it's gonna be a problem because I've been writing this play for years now. I've had these concepts for years now. Mm. But now it just seems that there's been this resurgence in the multiverse and you know mm. things of that nature to where well if one doesn't really get their work out and uh a different work has already come out that yeah. explores similar themes then you know some people might be quick to compare it to hey that reminds me of xyz that's, that's true that's true it was more just i guess the way that you specifically worded it but so are you giving these like are you giving like existence or void like so you're giving them like personification like as characters is that how it is is that what i'm getting 
uh, try and translate what I mean. There will simply be representations of these two characters on the stage, but one thing I also wanted to do with my play is that while there are there is a existence actor and a void actor on stage, there will also be an existence voice actor and a void voice actor. So whatever existence and void are doing on stage, they're not actually speaking to each other. Instead, you're hearing the voice actors somewhere in the backstage having these conversations, probably to a microphone or something like that. So that leaves more action, I think, on stage. I like that. That's very interesting. Hmm. I need to see one of these plays. Like, have you performed any of your plays, or? A few years ago, there was a rough table reading. Uh, table reading in this context just being, we read the script, but that was back in draft one or draft two. I'm currently on the fifth draft, and a lot of things have changed since then. Because one of the primary critiques that I ended up having was that my characters are not human enough. I was told by my theater professor, and that's fine.、Mm-hmm. You know, I suppose human problems are all the rage when it comes to theater. Things like Hamlet and、mm-hmm. a raisin in the sun. But I specifically do not see my characters having human problems, which is going to be an interesting way to write. Well. These characters. I think that's the interesting fact about this work. A lot of it comes from I don't know, because, you know, it's existence and void. These two heavily abstract concepts that I'm trying to give human qualities to, so that the audience can somewhat relate to these two beings. But then, I expect that there are going to be plot holes. For example, where did they come from? I created something to explain where they came from, but it's not really a good explanation. In the beginning, I wrote, "There was nothing," but because this quote "nothing" exist、uh, existed, then, well, void existed, and then there was existence, and I can't keep going further back.、It's, I can't give,、yeah. you know, readers the satisfaction of, well, existence was formed by the molecules of. Sapiens or something like that. That is very hard to, I guess, write a story or backstory to.、Yeah. I would, like I said, I would love to see it performed, but、hmm, don't be afraid to do something completely different. Because yes, it, w- it may be confusing, but that might be the point. It's not supposed to be. Understandable per se, because those concepts in itself aren't really understandable. So how could it make sense in a play either? Yeah, I mean, you know, many people would just say, "Well, isn't that just bad writing?" But I'm trying to reach levels of incomprehensibility, or well, I have it pulled up right now. It's called.、Oh, for, forgive me for any. Natural Greek speakers, but、um, akatalepsi, aka- <laughs> which is the inability to comprehend, which is, you know, it's one of the quote divine attributes of God, and well, you know, existence、yeah. and void. Like I'm trying to make them to be so far beyond our reaches that <laughs> it, it's just going to be difficult for me to write about them. Yeah, I mean, the like you said, you said that beautifully. The beauty of it is that 
it is basically impossible to comprehend. That is the beauty of it in itself. Sometimes I feel as if the better question is, why bother writing something like this in the first place? Why bother being a writer? Why bother, you know, exerting creativity and all that stuff? And to that I say, because I must. I feel this weird urge, mm. this pull to be surrounded by a sea of words constantly until it devours me whole and I just become a conduit for story, character, reader. Mm. And then after that, life and death become optional for me. Because Ooh. all I care about is writing and reading and becoming. And I can't explain it any further than that. Oh, that's beautiful. You said life and death become an option for you like what did you mean by that are you saying like this is just what you must do putting this into a creation and expressing these concepts is just become like your life's worth and nothing really matters beyond that or what do you mean by that line i don't even see it as work some, yeah. well, sometimes I do, you know, idealistically, I just be able to write there forever. But yeah, I think about this one novel that I read titled Station Eleven by Emily St. Mandel. And in it, she uses a quote, which is actually from Star Trek that I've never watched, but survival is insufficient. The novel itself is basically about a theater troupe who tries to keep the arts alive in a post-apocalyptic scenario in which humanity was eliminated, uh, like 90% of humanity was eliminated by a pandemic. <laughs> you know, and what, what happened to the arts, right? Mm. And so what I mean to say is, regarding that quote, survival is insufficient, and why I said life and death become optional, is because the only thing that's really on my mind is the arts. It's writing, it's theater, it's poetry, everything that encompasses these abstract things that are sometimes difficult to define. Mm. And so life and death is optional for me because I feel as if, well, if the only thing that matters to me is art and writing and you know everything of that nature, mm. then everything else doesn't really matter to me. That is beautiful. I'm so glad that you have found that. And it's amazing when you find that. I don't think many people actually find that thing for themselves. And it is beautiful because I feel like we have lost that appreciation for art, kind of, in a way. And it is the best way to encompass and express these harder, abstract concepts that... You can't just necessarily say the best way to express them is through art, which is absolutely beautiful. And I love that. I feel like you're inspiring me to have a deeper appreciation for those works of um, plays, theater, or poetry, or anything that can express it, because it's more of a feeling where do you get your inspiration from or is it kind of just all you in your mind or is there any particular person that you're trying to write like or i i'd assume it'd be more individualistic 
I wish I had a simple answer. Yeah. All I can tell you is, since I was a child, I was already odd. <laughs> when I moved from the Philippines to America when I was about three or four years, uh, four years old, everything was confusing. Right. Not just the act of moving, but reality itself. Things like cars and people and faces and, you know, I would look around the world and just get really confused to the point where it's almost as if things were uh, underneath the illusion of making sense. And because of that type of mindset, I, I think that I was lucky enough to, I don't know, liberate myself from things like logic. Because, mm. you know... Ooh. I love that. Liberate yourself from logic. Mm. Continue. I have nothing against logic or the hard sciences which demand that things have a cause and effect. But ever since I was young, I just always thought about all these impossible things before breakfast, you know, similar to Alice from Alice in Wonderland, which is actually one of my big inspirations as well. Mm. And I've lived my life never really having a solid foundation on reality mm. but i'm able to you know play the system of late stage capitalism and doing all this paperwork but it doesn't really control my thoughts as much as i wouldn't want it to you know i'm not immune to advertising sometimes right but mm. to return back to the primary question where do i get my inspiration from it's everything that is askew things such as night circuses or mysterious faces peering in from the window that aren't malicious balloons that are red that are just floating upward towards space things that just have no indication of sometimes making sense because really nothing is absolute in this world for me mm. and i guess it also helps that i've had many paranormal experiences and i guess because of that my logical viewpoints are just challenged mm. as a result yes that is interesting i would like to ask you more about that in a little bit but i love that because there is so much more to this world than the eye perceives and are on most people's minds and i do love that you you look for the magic the beauty the mysterious in life because we are everything else is the illusion i see honestly but what paranormal experiences have you seen because for me like i've kind of been opening my mind more to that because there are other dimensions out there that our mind or just our human brain cannot actually see just from our um, 3D like reality. There is a lot more to this life beyond what we see. So I'd like to ask you about that. I think that the rhetoric concerning, you know, intangible things such as this paranormal, magic, etc. What's really unfortunate is that it automatically gets turned down by the general, you know, scientific community and yeah. all of them because it has been riddled with charlatans and individuals who would rather seek to do harm instead of, you know, true curious inquiry about the nature of these things. 
my paranormal experiences don't often tend to be isolated, as in I don't experience them by myself. It is quite rare for me to have uh, to have that happen. Rather, I have had it happen with another person, or at one、mm. point even in public. So I'll just、Ooh. go through、um, the two most major ones that have stuck with me.、Uh, the first one, well. I was at Macy's <laughs> at the mall、okay. with my aunt. It's about、yeah. two or three in the afternoon. You know, everyone was shopping, and I was talking to my aunt. We were facing each other, and we were in the women's department、um, shoe section. What ends up happening is that as we're talking, I feel this weird electric hum that pulsates on the surface of my skin, and I feel this weird gentle hand wanting to push my. Uh, my face toward where this shoe on a shoe stand is, and as my face is turning, I can see it in the periphery of my eye that my aunt's face is also turning. And so we're looking at this shoe on this shoe stand, and I'm just thinking, okay. And then <laughs> the shoe levitates and launches itself to the wall, and then that electric hum, that that weird atmosphere, completely dissipates. And everything goes back to quote normal, but even the people in the crowd who saw it were just sort of stunned and silenced. This was back in about you know 2008 or something like that. And I go and I pick up this shoe, and I just cautiously put it back. And then I'm thinking to myself, well now what? <laughs> Am I just supposed to imagine that nothing happened? And you know, this was back in the time where people weren't just carrying their phones, waiting for, you know, the next paranormal event to happen. But、yeah. I mean, what else was there to do other than just say, "Oh, well, that was pretty weird, right?" And the、oh, second、God. event was. Wait, hold on, hold on.、Can、yeah. Like, that is. Wow, that's crazy. Like that. Were you scared? Were you fearful? Or were you just like? Amazed I mean, I suppose. Like, I suppose if it was late at night and I was alone, of course I would be scared. But this was in public, right? right at two in the afternoon, so、right. there wasn't really much to be scared of, other than bemused. <laughs>、mm-hmm. That makes. And、sense. I had to, and I had to ask my aunt a few months ago if that really happened, if she remembered that, and she said yes, she remembers it happening. So. You know, I don't know if we were if that was just sudden mass hallucination for everyone, or if it was something that was just the will of the paranormal, and then for it to never happen again was just sort of strange, right? Hmm. Ah. So, did you feel it was like an evil presence? Because I feel like a lot of people when they associate these paranormal experiences, it's like, oh, it's bad, scary, oh my god, but. Really, I don't really. I don't think it really needs to be that.、It's、probably just like maybe another dimensional being. I don't know. But I, mean,、yeah. I don't know what kind of evil presence would just take a shoe and throw it. <laughs> you know, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I know. Maybe、uh, they have a knife or something instead, right? Right. There was actually this、um, on the occult Reddit. There was a question that was posed by a redditor, and the question was. What are your hot takes in the occult? And I was thinking, oh, this is my time to shine. I basically wrote that these invisible beings, whatever you want to call them—ghost, spirit, demon, fairy, whatever—are、uh, 
I personally think that they do have free will. They are not subject to the idea of, you know, good and evil that we humans have put for ourselves because I don't think they play mm. by the same rules.、Mm. So it's not good or bad.、Sure. That's just what they want to do. But this is an assumption because if that's true, then you know we could get into the rabbit hole of then why do they or why are they bound by certain rituals? But you know that that's a rabbit hole to discuss some other time. Right? No, that's interesting because I haven't really thought about that. Right? I'm sure that they probably wouldn't have the same. Weird dualistic mentality that we humans do of good and bad, and I've been kind of placing a label on that. Hmm. Interesting. I'm glad that you didn't mention that. But there was one more paranormal experience I want to、um, explain first. All right. I was about seventeen. It was two in the afternoon. I don't know what it is about these beings and you know ignoring the、two、conventional the rules of you know. Yeah, it's always like you'd think they'd come at like. Midnight or three a.m. <laughs> They don't really care. <laughs> Basically, I got out of the shower, and I'm about to go into my room. And I open the door, and I just feel this weird presence. And it feels the exact same way that the、uh, atmosphere was with this flying shoe incident. And I'm standing there, really dazed and confused, as if I just my body decided to get drunk. At the end of the hallway. There's this weird shadow creature, being humanoid thing. The edges of its body is fuzzy. It looks like it has beady yellow eyes, reminiscent of the Heartless from Kingdom Hearts. And I'm looking at it, and it runs all the way from the end of the hallway into my room, past me. And my door to my room is closed. What ends up happening is that it phases through the door, and then the door. Opens two seconds later, you know, like a lag effect, and a bunch of my stuff from my room is scattered all over the place, as if a miniature tornado hit it. And I was just really confused because as soon as it left and and it entered the room, I assume it left my window, or it left through my window, and I just stood there. But then my mother calls me from the.、Uh, Living room because the living room and the hallway are connected, and she says, "What are you doing? Stop summoning things!" Because my mother, too, well,、oh. the family was a bit involved in the occult and witchcraft as a unit, but that's for a different time. Anyways, I just respond and I tell her, "Mother, I'm in the shower. I'm not singing praises to Satan to summon these creatures." Anyways,、oh、we reminisced、my. about this、uh, two months ago. Actually, sometimes she'll、mm. bring it up. Do you remember that creature? And I said, "Of course I do," because I, I stayed in that room up until, well, two months ago too. Actually, so. Oh my gosh! Wow. Yep. That is the only thing. Yeah. I can say that was similar to all my、uh, with my paranormal experiences, was that there was always this weird electric hum. And not in terms of you would hear it, but I, I'm using it as a visual metaphor. This electric hum that feels like it's just a thousand hands levitating above your skin, not actually touching you, but you know that feeling when someone's、mm-hmm. trying to, you know, give off that heat energy, whatever you want to call yeah. it, <laughs> yeah. that you sense vaguely. Those have always been the trademark of my paranormal experiences.、Mm-hmm. So interesting. 
That is crazy. Like, I I always have an open mind because, come on, what is life, right? How <laughs> anything is possible. And that's, that's just really interesting to me because I've recently also had kind of like a, I mean, I want to say paranormal, but... I don't know, interdimensional, because it doesn't really seem... Paranormal is like a negative connotation, I guess, but... Yeah. So, I've kind of had an experience like that, so I guess my mind is more open, and I'm just... That's great. Were you scared? Like, do you... Or were you just amazed? Like, how did you feel? How did you react? Oh, when it comes to the occult, I'm always amazed. I love the idea that there are beings out there who refuse to be comprehensible to us using you know our usual scientific methods that it doesn't really matter if we talk about them or not because if they do exist they don't really need our permission to exist you know i suppose the only thing i can say is that because i'm not really scared of these beings it's just a matter of can i bring them into my life in a way that allows me to question them <laughs> yeah right because mm. i would love to talk to them i would well you know i say this now but i'm sure that if i were trying to say summon insert entity name here at one in the morning i'd be scared as hell but <laughs> yes honestly i i think at some point i do want to i'm i don't think i'm ready yet but i do want to ask you more about the a cult but i'll just say like my little experience and why i'm kind of more open to this was i feel like cats the other dimensional beings i think that they're able to do that there's a lot of videos of them like pawing at things and you can do your research on that but i guess i am spiritual so i believe in like spirit guides i i'm or just like other dimensional beings and I was like, I asked my cats, but I had but all three of my cats in my room. I was playing like some binaural beats and I was just like, cats, it was kind of late at night. I was like, cats, man. I, I was saying, okay, hey guys, if you're here, I welcome your presence. Like move around or I want to see my cats, like look at them. So I'll know that they're there and instantly my cat Rosie she started like jutting her head around like everywhere like it was very abnormal it wasn't just like something but as, as right as I like said that and she was just like looking everywhere like back and forth like she was looking at something but obviously I couldn't see it and my other cats started doing the same they were all looking in that same direction and this just kept happening the entire night. And I even went in the living room and I was like, oh my god. Like, I was excited, but I was a little scared in a way. But it was very, very, very interesting. And I, I don't know. I just know that there's something. And I saw like 11, 11, I don't know. It was a very, very interesting experience. And like I said... I'm usually not open to these things, but it was interesting. So, what's your what's your opinion on that? Like, on like whether or not other types of sapiences can detect these presences? I guess sure. I mean, maybe particularly cats, but 
yeah, do you think that there are other beings or other animals that are able to do that? I, well, you know, I don't really think I have the authority to say that, right. you know, other presences or other sapiences can detect these things because that's trying to give a voice to these creatures and you know i don't want to i don't want to misspeak for the cats and it turns out actually we were just looking at some flies <laughs> but um that's true that's true it was just it was like for no, hours no, I, I don't know but yes continue i think that the detectability of these entities really calls upon whether there are other factors that um allow for that like that allows the person to know if there is one there because for me i tend to distrust most paranormal experiences unless i have that really strong and tangible and intuitive feeling yeah of say being watched or there being a presence in the room factored in with a few other things such as that weird electric hum and right. on the very rare occasion a weird smell <laughs> <laughs> but you know like that's um how it felt. But even then that's really how that, it felt yeah because i mean that's the thing too right like um one thing that tends to not not attract what's the opposite word where people repel that repels people from discussing things like this is that there tend to be a group of people where everything and anything is immediately paranormal and that's not a bad thing it's just mm -hmm. that you know you want to rule out all the scientific explanations first before you end up saying things that are just kind of out there yeah. and so when it comes to animals it's not that i doubt that they don't sense these things but rather i'm more so curious if there is a particular type uh type of threshold that um let's say there's a being in the room with this animal and the animal can immediately see it and they're just looking at this being so what is the what are the other things that the being would have to do to make their presence known to the human right right like you know if animals can see him and hear them because of just that's just their nature so does that mean that um the being has to i don't know <laughs> strengthen their presence or aura before the human too is like oh yeah there's something in this room you know hmm. i'm not sure maybe we'll learn more and i'm sure i will learn more in the future but i didn't want to ask like what is the occult or what's what what do you mean when you say that that's a heavy-handed question because I'm a sure lot of times you know the word occult well if we just start with the bare bones definition it really just means hidden or esoteric knowledge I'm pretty sure you know i'm sure someone else could argue it's like no it means secrecy or things in the dark whatever right but often the word occult tends to be connotated with the western study of that which lies in the realm of say alchemy mysteries and tarot astrology the nature thereof and if you're asking for my personal definition, right, I basically see the occult as the study of the invisible realities around us because the thing is, you know, the Western world does not have the end-all, be-all definition of what the occult is. 
and it's kind of such a catch-all term. It's similar to how Catholicism says pagan if it's literally not Catholicism, you know. So, is esoteric Taoism a cult? Is worship of the Yoruba pantheon a cult, right?、Mm-hmm. And then, you know, with the Last example I gave with the Yoruba pantheon is that a cult or is that just religion? And there tends to be this idea that you know it's almost like an interplay between a cult and religion. And、uh, I feel like there's a third word in there somewhere. I almost want to say paranormal. So I think、uh, to just reiterate it all back, the occult, from what I understand, tends to be these this、uh, general consensus. Is the study of reality, but in a way that allows for more esoteric and mysterious things to be studied, compared to say ontology or metaphysics、right. in a philosophical sense. Right. So it's just studying the world in all its parts, the world that maybe our eyes can't perceive. Right. But even then, too, this also includes things such as not just studying, but ritual, for、right. example. Sometimes worship, sometimes not. Like there's so many different ways to use this umbrella term, occult, right? right? And then we haven't even begun to talk about, say, something such as parapsychology, and where does that fit into the scheme of things? Oh, interesting. Do, do you want to do you want to touch on it?、Um, uh, parapsychology is considered a pseudoscience. Or maybe French science,、um, by a lot of the academic community. Well,、mm. maybe all. <laughs> But it's the idea that、uh, parapsychology wants to discuss things such as ESP, clairvoyance,、uh, mm. astral projection, or I hear instead of astral projection, out of body experiences.、Mm. And you can see that、uh, back in American history, for example, there was a higher interest in this back in. Uh, I don't even want to guess.、Uh, what I want to say like 1960s to 1980s,、mm. approximately, with say the Stargate Project, for example. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of right? that. Right.、Mm-hmm. Basically, a lot of parapsychology, right, relating it back to the occult, is in that realm again. Of are we studying the invisible things that are not perceivable to us that tend to overlap with? You know, religious experiences. So it's kind of weird because then, can I say that a miracle by Jesus Christ is a cult? <laughs>、right. Can I say, or is that just you know a religious miracle?、Mm. Right? Mm. Like, where is the fine line between prayer, casting a spell, and then manifestation when someone says, "Yeah, like I'm just going to think positive thoughts," right? And right. Then the law of attraction and all these things. It's、yes. very muddled. It, some things can be interpreted as more of a magical way, or some people can interpret it in a logical way. But it may be talking about the same thing. So, and that can be for especially manifestation or、um, astral projection or things like that. Right. So、and、at this rate, it's、yeah. just sort of. I don't want to say it's semantics because I'm sure. A lot of viewers or or listeners might say something akin to "It's not semantics." There are clear and distinct, <laughs> you know. Back when I was younger, there were all these words such as 
mage, magician, sorcerer, technomancer. And yeah, there are a few things in there. Lots of new yeah? terms. Lots, lots of new terminology. Yeah. <laughs> yes, At this rate, I would just reduce it to we are all simply curious about the nature of reality and we want to explore different facets of reality that may or may not use proper scientific inquiry and there is nothing good or bad about that. We're just going to yes. have to see if it works or not. And yeah. even if it doesn't work, well, you know, these invisible things, <laughs> they don't really have a need to be practical now, do they? They don't care what we do with it. Right. Mm. Well, that's my opinion, So Okay, that was perfectly said. That was beautifully said. The world does not operate really in logical terms. I love them. I did want to ask you more about, you said you were interested in chaos magic, right? So oh. is that spelled, I think that's spelled with like a K. And from what I figured out, like chaos magic is looking into magic from a scientific point of view with no strict rules is that correct or just tell me more about it i must have mentioned it outside of the uh podcast but mm -hmm. well chaos magic is underneath this idea that belief is a tool well i don't just want to reduce it to that right but it's the idea that it doesn't really matter what you approach um magic with a k or yeah magic with a k with it could be hinduism shamanism buddhism whatever it's the idea that whatever works for you and if it works great do it but the thing with chaos magic is that it tries to take the this foundational idea of what do all these things have in common and then it tries to offer this not bare bones but this formulaic approach that should, in theory, work for all other belief systems. So, uh, for example, intention, right? Intention can manifest as this idea of making a wish, making a prayer, lighting incense. And Chaos Magic says to that, that is all mm. valid. Perhaps you would like to try a sigil. Mm. And... Well, I'm sure you know what a sigil might be, no, or would you like an can explanation? Can you have an explanation, please? Of course. A sigil is basically the visual image of a desire. And um, there are many ways to create a sigil. For example, in the Western Hemisphere, you would take a sentence such as, I will see a woman in pink shoes. Um, and sometimes you might just say, I see a woman in pink shoes to, to make it more so, you know, uh, exact, like it's yeah. already happening. And what you do is you eliminate any repeating letters, and sometimes you eliminate vowels, really depends on who you're asking. And you take whatever remaining letters there are, and then you take all of that and you create it into a visual image that represents, I will see, or I see a woman in uh, pink mm. shoes. And the idea is, once you have that image, you focus your intention on it. You can meditate on it and <laughs> calling out all the chaos magicians because the stereotype with chaos magicians is that they masturbated their image. <laughs> no, I've heard of that. And, oh my God. I've actually heard yeah. because like some people manifest or other in that way. I mean, because you have a lot of energy and you have like a good feeling. I don't know. Right. It's the... It's the idea of, okay, well, just as a little side yeah. topic then, 
Um, the idea of sex magic is you use the idea of having sex and having an orgasm, but you're not doing it for pleasure. You are doing it with the intention of focusing upon, well, an intention so that by the time you reach this orgasmic state, everything that was done was for the sake of that objective, which in theory would power it based on a few other things such as correspondences, etc. Yeah, just such an interesting thing to me. And I haven't experimented with it. <laughs> I might, who knows? But I mean, I'm sure there are a few have books you? on that. Have you? Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I, no, because, well, <laughs> well, before I answer that question, let's go back yeah, to the sigil thing. Yeah, we can wrap up. So yes. then okay. you charge up the sigil using whatever method you would like, and then there are two opposing parties. Well, not opposing, but essentially they say, you must forget the sigil and throw away the image so that the image of that sigil will then be, or it will work in the unconscious machinations of yeah. your mind, or you keep it around until it happens. So you can hang it on your walls, it has a wallpaper, Is this kind of like a so, vision? I mean, it sounds like from the normal like way that i'm perceiving it or relating it to is like kind of like vision boards or maybe mind movies or something like that but in more of a intricate interesting way that's kind of how i see it what, what do you think well i would say that a vision board is so broad that it will attract things like it so for example if there was a vision board for going to france and you know it has pictures of france and france or French paraphernalia, then that will attract things in relation to that, mm -hmm. in theory. But say a sigil is more direct. You know what you want, you're going to do it. Or sometimes, well, it's difficult because some people say, actually, a sigil is just a psychological tool that helps you ground yourself to knowing what you want. Some people say, no, it's actually the law of attraction codified into this image, right? So it really depends on what side of the coin you're right. on. Or maybe it's a or maybe it's the exact same thing. Hmm. I feel like it is very similar, but in a different way. Like, I could do more research on it myself, but that's kind of how I relate it, honestly. And it's kind of giving a more, I guess, logical analysis on this so-called magic. And showing you, okay, how this is really affecting or how the power that this really has. And it is quite, right. I mean, I think similar in my way because I'm big on that. Like, I love visualization. I have, like, mind movies, which is just, like, kind of like um, a little edit with, like, music in the background or maybe, like, some quotes and just like a bunch of pictures that you would just like ha normally have in a vision board and mm, that is interesting i mean really what i just explained was the western <laughs> viewpoint you know when you look at other cultures and like for example esoteric chinese taoism the process of creating um a food talisman and i'm sorry and i'm uh coming at this having read the book by benabel wen uh the arts of, well, crafting foods, house, it, it was something like that. Basically, there are other approaches to how this could work too. So it's not really a catch-all term. 
even though you know chaos magic wants to step up as this game changer and say that oh by using our methods our sigils servitors egregores god forms then you know we've solved the conundrum of <laughs> magic but it, it just feels like another movement that tries to establish superiority but really isn't that just a lot of movements in general yeah, honestly that is true but it is interesting because to see things from a different perspective rather than just western right so anyways so something i did want to ask you is do you have any like specific examples of magic that you have done or rituals like i'd like to learn more about that process i mean magic and rituals i think there's often a stereotype with the word ritual that it has to be these mysterious dark hooded figures parading around in this stone chamber surrounded by candles and ominous gregorian chanting or something thereof but sometimes rituals can be flashy mm -hmm. like that and i think that's perfectly yes. fine i advocate that all rituals should not be based on the appearance of things but rather if you feel it to be appropriate mm. so you know some people uh do rituals naked for oh, example funny. or as i've heard the term and it might be it, this might just be a wiccan term i could be wrong but skyclad so it's this idea of to do this ritual you must purify yourself in um this uh bath in which these herbs which are cores uh which correspond with purifying properties must be poured upon your body in this particular manner and well it's also very different because depending on who you ask depending on the practice itself the idea of a ritual is going to vary from singing uh chanting dancing and being possessed such as Oh my god, I believe it might be Santeria, which I'm just going to fact check myself right now. I do not want to misrepresent them. Mm -hmm. Ah, there, yes, uh, for example, um, with Santeria, there's uh, this idea that you may call upon an Orisha to possess you, right? So that they may use your body and act as a conduit between themselves and the one being possessed. Oh, wow. That's a form of I, I, I don't that could be a form of a ritual, yeah. right? But I think that uh, another form of ritual, for example, is lighting incense and praying. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. Another form of a ritual could be casting open the circle. Wittershins? Is that what? It, no, not Wittershins. Just, just casting this idea of a circle, lighting the candles to represent the four elements, the four directions, or whatever, sitting in the middle, and then calling upon the forces of who knows what, using some language such as English, uh, Enochian, or even speaking in tongues. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why it's difficult for me to say, here is a ritual. I mean... You know, for example, we have morning rituals. That's we wake true. up, do skincare, yeah, and, right? And so, I guess to uh, localize it to me, the rituals that I have done back then when I was just starting out were really, 
they were not flashy. They were just incantations. They were just me thinking about this thing I really wanted to happen. And I remember, and we can sum it up to coincidence if we really have to. I guess my first theoretical quote-unquote spell, right, was back in eighth grade, and I really wanted it to rain. And it was on a day where it was really sunny, and I believe the weather forecast was, well, it was just going to be sunny the whole day. And so for six hours, I just kept having this incantation in my head about rain. I don't remember what how it went. And mm-hmm. I thought about it for six hours. And then finally, at the last class during PE, gray clouds decided to roll in. It rained for five minutes. And I was so happy because I equated that with being, yeah, I did it. And I was like, oh, this is great. You know, I, I did that. I casted the spell. It could have been coincidence, right? Anyways, I go home and I suffered this major nosebleed <laughs> out of nowhere. And I was thinking, was it because I had thought of this same thought for about five to six hours? But, you know, if you can really call that a ritual or just me being obsessed with this idea of incantation equals rain, right? Mm-hmm. Then I don't really know what else to call it. Or, That's interesting. Right. Huh. Or, yeah. I guess here's here's an accidental ritual I did, but this goes back to the paranormal thing as well. Another experience I had oh was gosh, night. so I'm my senior class got and it's like really dark. You're gonna like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Continue though. <laughs> be fine. But my experiences were when it was like the light was still out, so they don't really care if it's you know it's light true. or dark. Okay, continue. Uh, basically, my senior field trip we got to go to turkey and i remember there was this one morning and my friend justin well i just got angry at him because he made this stupid silly comment about my face and so for another i don't know six seven hours i thought the most horrendous thoughts i wanted to do all these terrible negative things but, you know, I didn't show it on my face. I was just smiling, pretending to have a good time. And basically, I went back to the dorm room sometime in the evening. And there was this horrific stench, as if a dead body was in the dorm room. <laughs> and I'm packing my stuff to go to the next city, which I believe was Izmir or Bursa. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking that this the smell is getting much more horrific and I feel like there's something watching me. And I'm joking in my head, oh, it could be a demon or, or a jinn, because, you know, we're in Turkey, a Islam, gin? right? And I hear, uh, more on that <laughs> later. <laughs> yes, continue. And I, I hear this right next to my ear. Psst. And I get up and run, because I'm not about to stay there and question right. it, you know? And the, the ironic part is that the person whom I'm angry with, Justin... Mm-hmm can supposedly see these things and so i go ahead and i just pull him through and i'm like hey justin i need you for a second i, I open the door and i shove him you in shove him. and i hear him scream yeah i'm not gonna like hey like go inside right and so well well i had to because i wanted to confirm and i wasn't going to wait around and say hey there's a demon in the <laughs> there's a demon or gin in the dorm room like go check it out basically he screams, he gets out, we run to the elevator, and then he tells me, what the hell did you summon? Oh. 
and I said, I don't know. I was just really angry at you. And we try to convince our other classmates that there is something in the room, but you know, they're just joking around, saying,、oh, "Of course not. That's just charm being charm,、yes. right?" Wow. And at that point, well, I didn't know what to do. Thankfully, it followed him because he saw it. I didn't. So,、oh. <laughs> and、um, what was really interesting was that on the airplane ride back home, he told me, "Hey, charm, your stupid friend is here." I wasn't even scared. I was amazed. I was thinking, "Oh my gosh, they can board airplanes!" You know, <laughs> it followed him halfway across the world, I guess, before it ended up dissipating, thanks to I guess his mother heard the news and she did some sort of thing here in America that made it go away. I don't know, but、huh. that is crazy. That's very interesting because I have met individuals right that、um, I guess I don't know exactly what it. Would be called, but they can like see or communicate to, I guess, other beings, or maybe like I'm my friend. Like their dog died, and they're able to like communicate to them. So it is interesting, and it is like definitely a real thing. And I think also schizophrenia is just a term used to down something very magical and profound. I literally hate this. I'm like outside in the dark, and I really don't. I kind of want to go inside. <laughs> okay, I am back. We did have to relocate. If there is there anything else that you would like to touch on that subject? Well, the primary topic we were talking about was the idea of ritual and my accidental rituals. Which may or may have not been true or real. I suppose one thing, yeah, one thing that I would just like to say is that there's a common factor when it comes to this idea of ritual. Is that the mindset, the feeling, and the overall being of someone is taken to such high dramatic extremes, and that's what usually attracts the.、Mm. Objective, or the final, well, intention that allows a ritual to achieve its, well, perfection.、Yeah. Right.、Uh, I was just thinking about how my friend,、mm-hmm. for example, like there's this common consensus that fear tends to attract these entities. True fear, of course. But my friend was saying, and I don't remember where he got it from. It could have just been him experiencing it. That there are moments when. One is in pure ecstasy or true joy or true anything really. That these there are entities that are attracted to that too, but it has to be on a level. That makes a lot of sense.、Mm-hmm. That makes sense. But it has to be on a level that's almost impossible to describe. Hmm.、Yeah. That makes sense because if you are because that's when you are the most vulnerable or. Open to the idea, where you do have such a will or such a strong intention, or you feel like you're really ready and anticipating something. Like that's probably when things happen, and that's kind of how I felt with my experience. No wonder more paranormal experiences happen. At night, because that's when people are more fearful or open to believing. <laughs> And it's interesting when you think about the fact that 
night as a concept doesn't really exist. It's weird to say that. True. But, you know. It it is true. <laughs> like it's just because our planet is like moving around, but at the end of the day, it's always night. Yeah. Yeah. It's always night. Yep. It's just because of our sun. Like and it's always. There's a lot to be found in the comforting primordial dark. You know, you can find safety there too. But well, you know how it is with mm. modern day society. But there's always like some level of like I do not want to be talking about scary shit while I'm sitting in the dark. You know what I mean? No, I, I get that. Like you just, just feel that. But fear of the unknown. Yes. That's really what it is, isn't it? Like any fear of these beings. It's honestly just fear of the unknown because honestly, it's a magical, really cool experience at the end of the day. Like you should be inviting, you should be accepting of it. You should be like, oh my God, I want this to happen. That's the other thing too, because people who work with these, who <laughs> people who work underneath the umbrella terms of the occult, paranormal, whatever have you, well, they're working with unknowns. You know, there's no guarantee that these, that anything I said, is actually what's happening right mm. like by the very right. nature of you know these mysteries there is no guarantee that all these entities actually have free will and are friendly and just want to frolic with you versus you know they who wear a thousand faces based on what you would expect of them right mm. like there's lots of things right. to consider kind of like if I died right now, or would you see me the way that you could only perceive uh, a ghost, whatever that would mean, right? And let's say I was older, would you perceive me in a younger form, right? Like, ha like you know, like the idea of well, your podcast, right? The new perspective. What is the perspective of perspective when it comes to all of this that we're talking about? What do you mean by that? The pers like, what do you mean by that? Well, it's. Mm, it's this idea of how do we perceive perception and how can we know that that's actually what's true but this is not really a new mm, question mm -hmm. I, I think there's um right. certain philosophers whose name are eluding me right now this goes into this idea of like how do we know what is true how can we believe what is true and how can we justify it and this goes into a lot of you know talks about perspective because like i said there is a chance that everything i just said is basically just me being schizophrenic but even then that would also go into a lot of other things such as well why do schizophrenics have this why do they see the things that they do right and even right. if it's this idea of well you know because the brain has i'm like okay so does that mean uh if I had something similar to that, I would be seeing the exact same thing, or would it be a bit more nuanced? But you know, I don't want to. I don't want to mm. deep dive into it because that's such a big topic. Yeah, that's you know? that's a very big topic. And I'd like to do some more research if we ever do talk. About yes, it. me too. But that is true. Like, I feel like everyone kind of lives in a different world. Everyone sees things differently like um we all see the same things in a sense but i mean depending on your perspective like someone who has had maybe paranormal experiences or maybe the person that um maybe is spiritual or practices these um, rituals they see world the world in a completely different way as the person that maybe doesn't or is like atheist or something and 
It is a quite an interesting topic because two people can be in the same room and seeing the world in a completely different light and charm that is why i kind of did want to create this podcast a new perspective because i want people to see this this world the same world that it is but in a completely different way and i feel like when i did open up to more of these like more abstract um i guess you could say uh concepts i i mean my whole perspective on the world changed like the same thing just was so much more amazing and beautiful and magical to me it could just be a flower that you <laughs> overlook but now has this whole other lens right and it's just change your lens you know you were programmed to see the world in this way but what if you just created your own perspective per se and that's kind of what i'm doing here is just letting you with each person that i interview with each person that i talk to i am allowing you to put on some glasses and see the world in a new lens even if it's just temporarily even if it's just for a few minutes or an hour you're able to see the world through the lens that they see it it's an approximation right Yes, I mean true. I can never be exact because I mean that's crazy, but <laughs> that's kind of my intention for this podcast. Oh man, you just reminded mm-hmm. me of well, you know, if there's one thing that if there's a community or group whom I think really allows people to challenge their perspective, it's academic feminism. <laughs> I know it's, it's, it seems like just a sharp turn, but you know, for, it does, but I'm open. Yeah. Well, for example, I was reading this mm-hmm. essay. I can't remember what it was, but it was about the male gaze in relation to Hollywood and how mm-hmm. a lot of films are catered toward you know uh, heteronormative or cisgendered like heterosexual men that makes it so that you are seeing through the perspective of that and so there will always be these you know these scandalous shots with women and things that glorify uh war and violence but main point being is that a lot of what feminism tries to do and at least to me right it's a bit weird because you know it's a guy talking about feminism and he might be not understanding it in the way that it's meant to be understood but to me Feminism is about the undoing of current day consensus perspective, allowing us to view reality through these critical theories that are found in philosophy or literature, things such as deconstructivism, structuralism that, you know, intermingle with each other. You know, the reason why I wanted to bring up feminism is because I think when people say perspective, the stereotype, at least for me, is sight. You know, we see things, we see things in a new perspective, but it makes me wonder about the perspective of people who don't see, literally, right? What does that mean for them? How do, how do you have perspective with your ears, with your oh, taste? With I your, see. Right. And, you know, for me, it's like a mindset. It's like a change in mindset that's kind of what it is a change in mentality like let's say okay 
your perspective, quote unquote, right now is that eating a bunch of cupcakes makes you skinny. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. That's your mentality. And then you do some research. You're like, oh my God, wait, no, th this is really bad for me. And then you change that and change your diet. That's kind of a new perspective. I'd say uh, just a new mentality, maybe a new learning lesson. It's quite vague and quite open-ended, but that's kind of how I see it. I'm too afraid to speak about it now because mm. I'm just thinking about psychology, yeah. neuroscience, and what they would say about, yeah. you know, the, well, the reason why I had uh, brought up the senses in the first place is because there's not i like i do not know how i could perceive things or have a perspective without my senses because oh, right mm -hmm. like for example let's say you were just born but you didn't have any of our traditional five senses of taste touch smell um sight sound i i hope i listed that correctly i'm probably missing something but you know and if you don't have that and you're just thinking well how do you perceive with just thinking to say but <laughs> no it makes sense it does make sense it's it's very vague and it's hard to have a clear definition of it and that is true i mean if you didn't have any senses would you what 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 would your perspective on the world be this blackness right. nothing but that's why i think you know we should give some yes. credit to the idea of subjectivity it's okay if we can mm. answer these big questions with a true objective answer that allows us to say this is perspective. I'm like maybe, yeah, <laughs> you know, man, th there that is impossible. That is impossible. But to me, and what my perspective is, my brand, my new perspective, it is just a mentality shift. Right. That's kind of what it is. Maybe a deeper, more meaningful understanding of the world. Yeah, it's actually interesting because uh, to relate it back to what we were first talking about um, at the beginning of this episode with my play, Existence, right? Yeah. I came up with this little, I don't want to say jingle, but the way oh. I wrote it was when existence sings to the audience, she says, Perception is key. Perception is love. Perception is all things that stem from above. And that is me. But you know, mm. that that's a bit hubristic of her. I'm, I'm sure someone could say, actually, existence is not perception. And that's fine. This is all up to interpretation, I guess. Mm. I would say that perception is everything. Everywhere, all at once, <laughs> you know, the way that <laughs> we see everything, hear everything. It's poetry, mm -hmm. it's the details in the window, it's the fact that we have names, it's the listener listening right now, it's the maybe the face that they're making as they're thinking, What the hell is this episode about? They went from plays to perspective to the <laughs> occult, and there's nothing to solidify all of that. And maybe that's all of it, <laughs> you know? Like, I just love. The flow of the conversation and mm, broader topics that are usually too scared to be discussed, you know? Transitioning here, Charm, I would like to talk more about your, I guess you could say, philosophical interests and perspectives. 
how I see my philosophical viewpoints, and I hope I'm using this correctly. My ontological viewpoints is that everything is a complicated illusion that holds the simultaneous value of being real and not real at the same time. There was this paradox that I encountered on Wikipedia's list of paradoxes, and the idea is. True that the illusion is not real, but you cannot deny that the illusion exists. So what does that mean, right? And you know, when it comes to these different viewpoints, it's not that any of them are particularly right or wrong, because for me, I'm an eclectic,、um, and what that means is I like to pull things, different belief systems, and I just take and I choose and pick what I like and what I don't like. Some people might cry foul and say, "Well, that just fully is disrespectful to the system."、Mm-hmm. Okay, and was that described <laughs> as maybe like electric spirituality? You mentioned oh, that, or、eclectic. is that kind of different?、Um, oh, I see, I see. Okay, right, right here. So, according to Google, deriving ideas, style, or tastes from a broad and diverse range of sources. And in the context of philosophy, denoting or belonging to a class of ancient philosophers who did not belong to or found any recognized school of thought, but selected doctrines from various schools of thoughts. It was interesting what you said in the beginning. You were like, everything is real and not real all at once, illusion and reality. What? Necessarily, would you mean by that? Does that mean? Oh, that's a well. It's not a difficult question. It's just that my answer is just a single viewpoint that contests with, you know, both ancient, modern, and somewhere in between philosophers. And even then, I don't even call. I I don't think I can call myself a philosopher because it's not as if. You know, like that. <laughs> there are rigid structures in philosophy that would allow one to say,、yeah. "Oh, yes, I am a philosopher." But what I mean by all these things holding these two different compositions is that everything just has an internal paradox. Everything that I believe in, everything that I know to be true, is all found within the idea and the acceptance of. The concept of paradoxes. So it's all just paradoxes to me. There are things that are always ebbing, or ebbing and flowing and contradicting, but also belonging to the point where this idea of reality is just going to be a matter of can I, <laughs> am I okay with the fact that these answers are really frustrating sometimes, and can I accept these paradoxes without you know going down the deep end of Invalidation of other answers or things like that, and you know, like it's kind of、mm-hmm. it's difficult because then this can also fall into、um, fallacies, right? Like I can't say、mm, yeah. that anything I say right now is true because then someone could say, "Well, aren't you just using insert logical fallacy here to say that you, what yours that what you are saying is true as well?" I'm like, well, maybe I don't mean to. Even with the conversation that we were having earlier, like、um, magic or a code or these、um, supposedly paranormal experiences, right?、Um, 
Schizophrenia, logic versus multi-dimensional beings or whatever. It's a blurry line between the two. And in the future, I mean, everything that we are saying right now could be a little bullshit. And there's going to be some new discovery that just mind blows us, right? Right. And I don't think that we should lose hope because, you know, I don't... Uh, talking about this makes me imagine that there's someone out there, say a flat earther who would use our rhetoric and say, see, these people say ah, that everything is constantly true. in flux. And it's like, oh, you know, we got to be careful about that. This reminds me of the unanswered questions in Buddhism. Mm-hmm. And these were questions, and depending on the source, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> There were either 10, 14, or 16 questions. And they were questions such as, is the world eternal or not, or both, or neither? Or is the self identical with the body or isn't different from the body? And the Buddha basically just said, I'm not going to answer this because this is unwise reflection that will get you nowhere. And to illustrate that further there was the parable of the poisoned arrow and the idea was that if you were struck with an arrow that was smeared with poison the most uh the best way to ensure that there's a i guess quote unquote good outcome is that you (laughs) you take it out and you no not take it out you you get a surgeon who's a professional and they would you know remove it right but then the unwise reflection comes in the fact that okay you got hit by an arrow smeared with poison are you going to question who shot this arrow who's what kind of poison is this am i actually dying is this arrow real and like by the time you would die all those answers would still remain unknown to you right they wouldn't matter anyway Right. I mean, don't get me wrong, though. I mean, there are some people who would still say, and what if I want to die and I still want to answer or try to answer these unanswerable questions and these metaphysical truths? Mm. Well, good luck. You know, that's all I can say. Right. Yeah. I mean, why do we spend so much time trying to answer the unanswerable? And I guess it's nice to ask just to incorporate a more profound or meaningful perspective because if you never ask if you never question if you never wonder i guess you lack some beauty and magic that is in the world one could say ignorance is bliss as well (laughs) i don't i don't believe that personally no no, i know there's um there's this bell curve chart i don't remember where i saw it from but it was about this idea that there's a perfect golden mean of knowledge that if one had it and they were in the middle life would be beautiful but if you have less of this knowledge or even a little bit more of this knowledge you kind of fall into this misery where you're on the fine line of oh knowing too much is despair but ignorance is bliss and it's always that irritating find the balance and that's like dude what balance like there's so many things to balance out there right you know i don't know i think 
to me, I guess what the balance would be, would be finding beauty in knowing that you kind of know nothing. Find the beauty in the unanswerable, find the beauty in the unknown, the uncomprehensible, right? Realize that there's so much that we know, we only know like a tiny percent of what's even going on in our universe is like there's so much more and i think that is beautiful to me oh i i agree with you i guess that's really unfortunate is that some people don't find that to be beautiful and they either distrust it or they're afraid of it and then they just kind of go into the this idea that oh well if i don't know anything then nothing matters and it's like dude really <laughs> you know like there are so many different ways to view this and yeah. what i find unpleasant is that some people just automatically default to this surface level nihilism mm -hmm. no definitely there's a lighter term or different i guess philosophical beliefs that incorporate i guess kind of that foundation of nihilism which is like mm, i don't know nothing really isn't as important as we say or believe that it could be like we are going to die we are this tiny little speck in an infinite universe we basically know nothing about we are limited and have such a narrow small view on what life is and we're just kind of thrown into this world without any will and but there are like more of a positive more positive ways of seeing it i think this is, gets into the territory of sometimes as much as we want to impart new perspectives it has to be earned and understood in the life that one experiences because you know there are there are some people where they're so cheerful about everything and then some people would just say well that's just them being an idealist that's not realistic at all but depending on how you see it, right, they could be liberated from all of the things that you just said mm -hmm. about them. So I think it calls upon the individual to be able to like their perspective and not be tied down to, oh, but it's not realistic enough or this won't get me anywhere. I find that people who often tend to try to make their life practical and this nitty-gritty realistic sense of perspective sometimes it's a 50 50 between they're okay and they're actually perpetually miserable wow. <laughs> and i hate saying that because you know like i think i think that you know the realistic the idealistic and all these perspectives are going to be in a perpetual state of maybe mm -hmm. perhaps but i think it's also important to consider the other side too you don't want to just you know go in one direction because what are you going to do when you encounter something that might just need a hint of that other side of the mm -hmm. fence right yes i mean you're going to run into situations where you're gonna need to have some sort of um maybe unrealistic mentality right like maybe some amazing quote-unquote coincidence popped up with this amazing opportunity like came in front of you right you may be just like ah oh, this isn't realistic like whatever but being realistic won't get you anywhere in life 
who defined realistic to you who said okay this is realistic that's saying like there is a some type of structure into what reality or being realistic is in general right like it's very just depends on the environment or culture that you did grow up in and I don't know I just hate that term and I feel like life isn't realistic <laughs> Like, I yes, continue. was watching this um, video essay by Zoe B and or maybe is it Zoe B anyways she discusses why realism is bad well in the context of you know uh, fiction and literature and stuff like that and she asked her viewers hey so what is realistic what is realism to all of you and there were just a lot of different definitions things like it's verisimilitude it's authenticity it's when things are gritty and violent so i think that it would do a lot of people good to stop using the word realism realistic and reality as this form of the here and now and lose themselves just a little bit to nonsense because i think it's in the denial of nonsense and fantasy and all those things that makes a person's life just a mm. little bit more difficult like it's okay to have hope guys <laughs> it's okay to be a little silly you know just as much as it's okay to be serious no, you said that beautifully like definitely like it's completely okay to not always be like rigid and logical all the time like it's okay to have fun and play around with ideas play around with the what ifs or I guess quote-unquote fantasies of life like who wants to live a life completely in a logical or quote-unquote realistic well, you'd be surprised yeah. <laughs> some people just want practicality they just want security and that's it that's okay too yeah that's true yeah. right some people feel comfortable in the known but i just don't feel like that is the best way to live in my opinion i don't know what do we know honestly but i know i'd love that's one thing that i really love and admire about you because you do um appreciate that and can dive into that uh more than i guess the average person would per se and i don't know some people use things like that as like an escapism but I love that you kind of embrace it and put it into art. Because I forgot to ask you a bit about this. And I want to know, how do you incorporate these ideas, I guess, into your poetry? Something so much more powerful about sharing a message through an art like that, right? So what makes you fond of poetry? I think it's because for me, language and meaning that arises from language is a form of creating reality. It's a form of being able to manipulate your own Ooh. perspective by being able to say things that are so ludicrous sometimes that it makes you want to laugh out loud. And um, mm -hmm. I'm not alone in this. There have been philosophers such as Jacques Derrida or Jacques Lacan that spoke about how linguistics in itself allows for us to take 
from unknowns and make it into known through signs, signifiers, signified, the imaginary, the symbolic, and the real, to the point where how I incorporate it in my poetry and to an extent um, my written work is that I'm able to sort of get a weird glimpse of this mysterious otherness that is not otherwise available to us right now because the language we are using does not allow for that mysterious otherness to manifest itself in reality. Well, <laughs> I often read a lot of um, articles and essays on Poetry Foundation. This, there was this one essay that began with, aha, uh -huh. oh, The Other Side of Reading and Writing by Jenna Pung. And she says, I had this terrible need to explain. I wrote the first post not to explain myself. I wrote it as the drive away from, the drive referring back to, the terrible need to explain. I wrote it midway between refusal and resistance. And I find that the language of poets and certain types of um, prose writers as well, you know what, the language of writers in general that it's that it is impossible to actually understand sometimes what they mean to say, but rather the experience of reading it and trying to understand it is the very act of understanding it instead of actually knowing what it is. So Ooh. it isn't done. Right. Ooh, I love that. Repeat, repeat that. Repeat that. So you're saying like the process of trying to understand it is understanding it you know sometimes all it really garners is a headache <laughs> i'm sure that there are some individuals out there you know especially those in higher academia who would say things such as oh, of course this is so easy to understand right? because there's a difference between knowing understanding and yeah. experiencing and sometimes at that oh, point yeah, there's there's a lack of one of the three or all three or just the two that it becomes so intuitive that really the only thing I could say is, yeah, that, the silence. <laughs> no, wait, I, before we go dive into that, I think that was beautiful what you said and can be applied on like a large scale, but the point isn't just to understand, it's to experience. And through experiencing the beauty of that art form or whatever it may be, you are quote unquote understanding it, right? But that is beautiful. Yeah. I love that. And sometimes it becomes so difficult that it feels like one is perpetually dreaming. Oh God, I don't want to do this random self insert of one of my poems, but... Yeah, do it. Let's hear it. Okay. Okay. So this is a really abstract poem that I wrote that I think really sums up oh. how I feel about these things. And it's in a draft phase, yeah. but okay. Uh, yeah, so it's here. It has always been happening since the Ouroboros bit its own tail and became aware of itself because it ruminated about the end of everything. That's just a title. <laughs> okay, so anyways. Um, I am falling on the backdrop of a thousand stars perfect in repose, 
and all around me the expansion of outward thought, my in-sleep awareness and out-sleep perception, fighting for dominance, fighting for the rights of my reverence toward the universe, the marvelous that is like all the eternal love I have for the star-obliterated, consumed, devoured night in which my desire for an impossible love continues to rise and shift the midnight tides until the end has come. All this, a distinct feeling. All that, because I have witnessed the patient solitude of the inexorable conclusion. It will come, surely on the boundary as I have seen it, silent in the proliferation of itself. It will obliterate, consume, devour that which I have perceived, and it too shall fall alongside me when I notice it, when I break the surface tension of the night, and when I have finally understood all around me. It shall be so. Oh, oh that's beautiful. Oh my gosh, look at you. Can, can, I, can I clap? I mean, you're supposed to snap technically, but yeah, you can clap. <laughs> You're supposed to snap. Yeah, like, is, is, that the, is that the way? For, for poets, you know, you snap for a poetry reading. Ah, uh, okay. Everybody snap. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's beautiful. Very eloquent. I'm not going to try and analyze every single detail and like figure it out. But when did you write this? And what, ins I guess, initially in the moment inspired you to write this? Because I'm sure like it's many, many things. But it's like in the moment, what made you want to? get out your pen or whatever and just like start writing i was in a poetry workshop mm -hmm. actually and i love experimental poetry i love it when poems don't make sense sometimes and you can only really grasp at um approximations of what yeah. it means and well that is also my downfall a lot of the critiques i received were charm your poems do not have enough in grounding the reader well I think this also goes into the idea that, um, you know, we've had years and years of quote-unquote good poetry that is, uh, I don't want to say stuffed down, but we are taught is good poetry. Things like Shakespeare or Yeats, XYZ, whatever name you want to put there. And now that I'm older, because I wrote this a few years ago, I can see what they mean in the context of and then there's bad abstraction. For example, when someone says, I am in agony in a poem, what does agony look like? Look, does it smell a certain way? Does it feel a certain way? Mm -hmm. Right? When we say these things such as beautiful or love, we don't really get an image based mm -hmm. off of that because, you know, it's this idea that beauty and love is so drastically different. For example, beauty and love to me is a mysterious disembodied hand that is perpetually reaching to try and connect hands with someone else, but never quite being there. That's what it is. You're very, very eloquent. I love the way that you can describe things. I don't know. That is true. Either way, just reading it in itself and trying to make sense of it i guess kind of in your own interpretation is what makes it beautiful and let's see is that like your favorite poem or what's like the favorite your favorite poem that you've ever wrote i mean there's a lot of poems that i've written where my feelings about it change that makes sense. <laughs> i don't really know if i have mm -hmm. a favorite at least not yet 
I mean, stay tuned for when I finish my debut collection. Now you can find that. <laughs> no, I didn't want to ask. Do <laughs> I, you I have like do you post on a website? Some of my friends like I forgot what it's called, but they're on the some poetry website. I don't even know. Not yet. You totally. I should. Like finishing my stuff first because I don't. I don't feel the strong need to have a social media、mm. presence. Not right now. You know, it's about the work, and if it happens, it gets popular. Great, but. You just do it for you. It was never really for the audience.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know the audience is optional to me. I mean, sometimes I think, oh, I would love my poems to lick the eyes of people like puppies, yeah, <laughs> right? I want to hide it underneath your pillow so that it can whisper oh, secrets to you,、okay. things like that. Yeah, I love to、so、read them. I love that personally.、Uh, amidst being a person who's trying to write, there's also balancing life, of right? Okay, there is just one more thing that I'd like to touch upon before we do wrap it up. So,、yeah. one thing that I really want to talk to you about was. I mean, I don't know your opinion on this book now versus when you were talking about it, but it was the book, The Art of Seduction, right? You were actually the person that inspired me to get it, or I didn't get it, but I just started listening to like the audio book, and I started reading it myself, and it was really interesting. Like I'm currently just like a few chapters in, and so far. It's intriguing, nonetheless. Why it got you into it, right? And it actually does kind of teach you how to do more than that. Just teach you how to persuade, influence, and seduce as well. Like the author Robert Greene, like also wrote Forty Eight Laws of Power. So it's kind of、um, the feminine. Form of power, I would say. So, what made you want to read this book, Chang? I think it's also the masculine、oh, version、so? of power too. Well, I want to、mm. say it's both. Well,、uh, I guess traditionally it would be feminine. But... Okay. Well, so the reason why I wanted to read it was because I love beauty in its shallowness and in the deep appreciations that also is available to people. So you know, I'm. <laughs> I love eye candy. I love beautiful people just as much as I love beautiful trees and I love beautiful, you know,、uh, food X Y Z, right? And I studied beauty for a while in terms of philosophy.、Uh, the proper term would be、mm-hmm. aesthetics. And I was thinking, what, what is beauty? Is it, you know. The symmetrical form of things. Do I like trees and people's faces because it's,、uh, you know, proportional to the golden ratio, or is it something intangible such as my approximate relation to it? I mean, there's so many theories of、mm-hmm. beauty, right? And I remember the thought just hit me:、um, What does it mean to be beautiful and feel beautiful,、mm-hmm. right? And I was thinking about in English, everything. Everything is a matter of persuasion,、mm-hmm. and I find that to be beautiful. And I find that as I look around my room, and I'm existing, everything is a matter of persuasion and seduction.、Yes. Things are grabbing at me for their、yeah. attention, whether that's trees or the song that I'm playing right now,、mm-hmm. <laughs> right, as I'm talking、yeah. to you. And so I was curious: How can I harness that power in a way that doesn't do harm to、mm. anyone? 
I mean, I don't really care if it does harm or not, but、um, I choose not to do it because I just think it's kind of、yeah. cliche and boring. You、right. know, I think that the art of seduction is fun. I think that it can be delicious when both parties know what they're getting into,、mm-hmm. right? And I know that there's that whole, well, they shouldn't have to seduce me. They should just be honest with me. And I think even that too is a form of seduction: honesty、no. and integrity、sure. and being noble. Because it's all about、mm-hmm. preference. How do you prefer to、mm-hmm. be seduced? For me, it's it's my namesake, charm and mystery. Yeah, and I love stuff、mm-hmm. like that. So that's why I started reading it because I think these people, the good seducers, <laughs> whatever that means, <laughs> the ones that are benevolent,、yeah. I suppose, are just so fascinating、yes. to be around. You know, they uplift、yes. reality. I think. And well, that's my perspective. You know, a lot of people would say no seducers are no. automatically evil. I'm like, okay,、no. whatever you say. This book、right? opened my mind to that. No, that was beautifully said. Everything is trying to persuade you in some way or seduce you in some way. Like the advertisements,、right. the clickbait.、Um, I mean, titles. I don't know if it's psychology or economic theory, but they call this priming.、Mm. That you know, the world around you, like we are primed to look at these things, and you know, you think you wanted that cheeseburger out of nowhere. No, it's because you saw that billboard advertising、yeah. McDonald's that you、yeah. want a cheeseburger. Exactly. So. so we are seduced into thinking it is our own will, but really, it's just external influences. I mean, everything that you do when you ask for a question, you a job interview, or you post on social media, or a conversation like me trying to grab the listeners' attention and keep them hooked on listening is an art, a way of seduction, right? And I completely changed. I mean, it does seem negative, but. Everybody wants to be seduced. Every it's like an escapism. Everyone wants to escape their boring. Well, maybe well, not everybody, but some people want to escape their、right. boring, just everyday, normal lives. Sorry, I'm just so excited because you know it's nice to speak to someone who is also reading the book.、Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, I think one thing that、uh, when it comes to the art of seduction. Quite literally, and、yes. the title of the book, people should stop equating it with、yeah. sexuality, or not sexuality, but sexual、yeah. intention. Because, really, I think, and this could—I don't know if this is a hot take opinion or if I'm just wrong—but the idea of seduction is really just being able to hold your yeah. attention. Ooh. Okay. And it's the—it's the economy of、Ooh. attention. Everything around us is vying for our attentions,、mm. and I had to look this up、mm. once. I'm like, what? What is attention? I'm looking outside right now at my window at this one tree that's just swaying in the wind. That's holding my attention.、Mm-hmm. Could I say it's <laughs> seducing my eyes? I don't know, <laughs> right? We get into like some ridiculous rhetoric yes, sometimes, but, but、yeah. that—that's what I want to be prepared、mm-hmm. for. This idea that if everything is trying to seduce me, shouldn't I be a little bit more informed more. about this? It doesn't、mm-hmm. mean that like. You know, I read these things for malicious intention.、Yeah. It's just nice to know that someone's trying these tactics on me, and I can call them out yes, on it.、Oh、and it's、gosh. such an interesting conversation.、Yes. Yeah,、mm-hmm. I could say, I know、yeah. what you're trying to do, 
And then this person would say, what is it? You're trying to seduce me using this particular yeah. thing I read in this book. And then they get weird out. They're two. like, oh, okay, chapter yeah. two, right? <laughs> the game gets more interesting because now there were two players on the mm -hmm. battlefield, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's fun. Like one of the, be the best benefits that I've gotten out of like reading it is i've been able to pick up on things that other people do so much more right like i also read how to win friends and like influence people a while back and that also taught me okay how do i like stay away and like point these things out so i don't you know end up buying some random ass car that i don't want right so these little things can right. help you pick them out in people and when i was reading it i was like oh so this person is this they're this type of seducer i think it also allows you to differentiate between a person's genuine yeah. intentions versus them just being yeah. but i mean you know we don't want to we don't want to fall for the idea that everything out there is seducing us i mean it sounds very tempting but it's also very it could allow you know people who've read the book to be really paranoid like you know, some some hot guy says hi and all of a sudden it's like oh user training is activating it's like no, just saying hi right <laughs> true some people do it just like without even thinking about it it's just their nature right some people just have a charming nature some people just have a outgoing um nature right some people are just like one of my friends in particular and like we just do things without realizing that we're doing them, but you can also use it intentionally. And it's nothing bad to actually put a little effort in sometimes as well. Yeah. And, you know, we're always going to have our internal yeah. biases. Specifically, for example, let's talk about briefly the halo mm -hmm. effect. And to sum it up, the halo effect is that which is perceived to be beautiful is automatically mm -hmm. good. And so, you know, let's say, for example, uh, cliche, sexy, or uh, sexy, hot, handsome, beautiful woman or man or whatever <laughs> says hi to you and has strikes a conversation with you. Well, it doesn't really matter what perceived training you have about, you know, knowing that, oh, you're trying to seduce me. You know that yeah. they're beautiful. <laughs> right? So... This can go one of two ways. You will unconsciously fall for whatever they say, or you will be so on guard with what they're saying that you start saying, oh, I can't really talk to you because you're too beautiful. And now I have to start thinking, well, what accidental things am I falling for that you're not trying to actually right. do? There's that little there loop in true. between where they're not going to be thinking That's about true. that. That's true. You can't but... overthink everything. Right. Don't overthink everything a lot of the times i notice little things and people but i i can differentiate for when it's just them being their authentic self and it's just a natural trait or quality that they do have that happens to be very beneficial and working in their favor or if it's used in ill intentions right maybe this person is emotionally right. uh, unstable or has narcissistic yes that's when you can dif differentiate and that's when it's probably good or key to be aware of it right 
but sometimes it can just be like this is just genuinely who they are and it naturally i mean works in their favor right yeah and also <laughs> i think one really here's a good bad example for example uh, uh in customer service for example um when there's a attractive woman who's just being friendly to some guy yeah. and the guy sees it as obviously she's trying to seduce like no that's her job yeah. she's supposed to be friendly she's not going to start saying like get out of here you know and not so you get creeped right much, you know? i mean you don't have to read too much into everything that is true but a lot of it is just incorporating this new knowledge that you have with and in- with your intuition knowing the person knowing the room knowing the vibe but all in all it's still yeah great right and um i just want to ask you though like what i guess seducer type do you feel like you are or can i guess before you answer let me just pull up no i have them i have them well i had to pull it up for myself so i remember and then you can can guess as i'm pulling it up (laughs) okay yeah so there's the siren the rake the ideal lover the dandy the natural the coquette the charmer the charismatic and the star i think i remember someone a friend of mine had said if i had any three of them wait 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 wait. oh don't say it sorry sorry i forgot (laughs) okay okay i mean i mean even with your name the first thing i would say is charmer thank you I don't know because it you the way you approach things it's not really in a sexual way but more focused on fantasy um giving them magic or pulling them out of just their normal daily lives i feel like that's kind of how you would be so i would say that and Maybe charismatic? I'm not sure. I might have to read up on them a bit more, but yes. <laughs> I mean, I have been told uh, by my friend, like I was saying, it was the charmer, the charismatic, and hey, a I... hint of the star. But, okay. you know, hey, I hey. think it all just switches back and forth there's never one day where i wake up and i say okay time to be charismatic today it also depends on the person right because a lot of people it definitely does or not a lot of people but there are just some people who could care less about what you appear as right like any form of seduction intentional or unintentional will just be ignored and that's fine right right? Mm -hmm. so you know i try not to put these as mass but i try to put these as what is the individual I want to meet? Well, you know, um, I want to meet the mysterious, charming individual that makes it seem as if everything on earth that I'm experiencing right now has always been optional. That it's a pleasure to be here, just being alive and existing, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yes, yes. I really enjoy the idea of being a star <laughs> or the star, but that's difficult mm-hmm. because. You know that demands a type of attention that borders on being detached aware mm-hmm. and having this crazy glamorous life that right, right. fantasy 
you do kind of give that off though you do in a way but i guess it is easier more online as well i mean perhaps yes it is easier online and you know there are celebrities out there you know stars mm -hmm. that do all of that mm -hmm. which is why i like to identify sometimes as a casual charmer but not because okay. I'm trying to seduce anyone, but because... Says, says, says Charm Chandler. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's important that we have a bit of charm in our lives. Yes. Yes. Indeed. I think we all need that. But yeah, uh, there we go. I was spot on. Per, per. What about for me, though? Because, again, you have not seen that side of me, but what do you think? The only thing I can really put you as is the natural oh really yeah okay interesting why well it's this idea of being honest a hint of spontaneous spontaneity and being playfully authentic you know you are mm -hmm. curious i would say and the way that you talk about these things is very reminiscent as if it was uh, I don't want to say a fresh perspective. <laughs> it's it's silly, but you I find it fascinating when children say things like, "Why are leaves leaves?" I'm like, "Yeah, why are leaves leaves?" <laughs> you know, or like, yeah. "Why is the sky yeah. blue?" And so when you talk about certain things yeah. like that, right? Like, "That's beautiful," or "I just really like X Y Z." I've been saying X Y Z this whole podcast, but anyways, um, I find that you just remind me of that time before things got nitty-gritty that's why i would put you as the natural mm. interesting okay i think i see that for sure well hmm. i just wanted to make a side comment too yeah these but. are just approximates you know of how we yes. all truly are but it is fun it's it fun is fun it is fun you know like what's next i i'm intp <laughs> you know? yeah oh my gosh see that is just i don't really believe it in itself but it is kind of fun to do so i do recommend you guys listening like look up the definitions what do you guys think you are you know if you're on youtube listening to this write in the comments but um before i ask that what type do you think you are attracted to or types in the context of the art of seduction archetypes or um the seducer types i oh, guess yes yes the a combination of the dandy and the star mm. it's this idea of you know defying expectation and trying to curate his or her self-image right and what it means for them to be alive and they don't care what anyone else says or perhaps they do mm -hmm. care to some extent but that doesn't mean that they're ready to drop everything that they are to appease another person it's those right. individuals that have such strong willpower that it shows in the way that they speak the way that they dress themselves the way that they are as a person living in what seems to be a uh, apocalyptic scenario of modern times <laughs> mm, yes no i love that okay for me too the dandy for sure or i think it was a coquette i think as well oh no, like, the bait and switch where they 
are hot and cold and Yes, oh, but definitely the dandy or code cat because I like people who are like kind of like focused on themselves, right? They're more focused on their work, their goals, their visions, their passions rather than solely focusing only on girls or whatever, right? Like, I love it when people have that because that's kind of how I am or like. Besides, like my other presence, that's kind of how I really am, like in real life, right? So I am attracted to that as well, and just like the switch, always keep me guessing, always keep me guessing, always keep me on my toes. Like it's it's crazy, it's crazy. Sometimes it can be toxic, but it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> to add on a little bit、um, to our conversation. The one thing、yeah. that trumps all of this for me is the self-awareness of what a person is doing, and when they say and point it out to you, I think that's、yeah. one way to capture my heart. I mean, could you imagine <laughs> if someone said, and they just、uh... smiled and bluntly said, "Hey, so every single thing I've been doing right now has been an attempt to charm you. Is it working?" Would smile and you'll tilt their head to the side, and then. I think that's the kicker when they're willing to admit that they were trying to do all of this to do something、yeah. to you, like for you or with you or something,、yeah. right? Because if the coquette was saying, for example, "Well, I do want to keep you on your toes. Do you like that?" And then you know they have the, like the little、mm-hmm. smirk. I'm like, oh, whew, my heart. <laughs> oh my god, hundred percent. Like, yes, because it kind of. Um, gets rid of the oh malicious intent, and he's like, okay, I'm actually just trying to put in some work and actually like try, right? And actually like put、right. some effort into things, right? Yeah, like it's always so nice when you're able to like kind of break that spell for a second and show, hey, I'm just doing this because I care. The perfect balance between being blunt and being playful is what I enjoy, right? Because I don't want someone to just say, "Okay, I am really interested in you." Now we are dating. It's like, oh, okay, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's not what most people would say, but no, but I get it. I get、right. it for sure. I mean,、mm-hmm. And honestly, let's be real. The、uh, current, the modern connotation of. The word seduction often equates this idea of romance and love, and the idea of romance and love is a whole other sea of topics that we could get yeah, into. Yeah, it's know, completely different, right? Like, what is this love nonsense? What is this love? <laughs> yeah, like, is it the eight types of Greek love? Are we talking about,、um, <laughs> you know, Mozi, who is a Chinese philosopher, like impartial love? Are we talking about the American conception of love, in which we hear a lot of things in social media, where it's just well, at this rate, I don't really think any of us know what love is. We just do the、uh, approximation again <laughs> and、right. seduction. There's ways to access it. Yes. Okay. Seduction is not love. This is more of just a playful. Thing to incorporate and make things a bit more fun or spicy,、mm. or in the beginning stages, right? In the beginning、right. stages, you know, love does that thing where it changes with time. So in the beginning stages, it's seduction. Maybe later on, it becomes more pragmatic. And well, you know, I don't want to be a dead horse, but yeah. 
Yeah. No, I completely get you. So, do you feel like overall this book has been informative and beneficial to you? It is informative and beneficial if you have other things、um, aside from that book to help you understand it. So you're not looking at it and saying. This is so sociopathic because it is actually like this book is quite sociopathic. It is,、mm-hmm. you know, to some people I've read some reviews on Goodreads, and you know, one thing to consider about this book is that it is not a feel-good book about being yourself, because you know that <laughs> rarely works out. You know,、oh, so yeah, yeah, there are there are ways to modify who we are as individuals, and I、yeah. imagine some of your viewers are thinking, but charm, if we're not ourselves, then Where is the authenticity? Where is the? It's still there. It can't、mm-hmm. be still there. It's just that humans are not this. We are only attracted to this one type of authenticity. Because if that were the case, then, well, one would be a hive mind, and two, most of our problems would be solved if we could just think the exact same way. So.、Mm. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I mean, I... there's nothing fun in just being authentic all the time. That's why there are things like. Alter ego or role play. Right, but even then, that's just a form of authenticity too. Like, I guess. Okay. Right. Okay, I think.、It? I think. I. I personally think so. I think that. Okay. Being authentic is a matter not of the external perceptions that a person places onto you by saying, "Hey, are you being authentic?" But if that person, to themselves, believes that they are authentic and that. It is being authentic, you know.、Mm-mm. I think that trumps everything else. I am being authentic by, you know, with my love of the occult, my intangible beings,、um, experimental poetry, and、mm-hmm. liking all these contrasting things. Not because I crave attention, but because it's the only thing I think about. Right, and in that, that is naturally, I could say, seductive quality, right? And people can be intrigued by that, and that is kind of being natural. Like even if you are quote unquote yourself, there are also natural things that you probably do have that can attract specific people, like a magnet. So when you are、uh, being authentic, quote unquote, which is quite vague in it in、right. itself, you will attract. The right individuals that do match that and enjoy that and are probably more in resonance and in harmony with you. But if there is like a specific thing, maybe it's like a job interview or some things where you may need a little extra spice rather than just authenticity or just、yeah. to play around. Add some extra things, put in some more effort. That's when these things can come in. Also appropriate for some situations, as you were saying, job interviews, auditions.、Yeah. Um, oh,、uh, high table manner etiquette. And you know, some people say, "Well, if they can't accept me, then I'm like, okay, well, if they're not going to accept you with this, I, like, what if this idea of being yourself is actually detrimental to you, and you're just being prideful?"、Mm. I think it would be so much more better if you just told me, "I accept being a lazy, procrastinating individual that has no dreams," and I would say, "Oh my God, I love that acceptance. That is very seductive of you." Versus finding, you know, 
miscellaneous excuses to say that people just don't accept me because well mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just difficult you know people and this idea of acceptance well what are you going to do about it and i'm asking that to mm-hmm. all the viewers what are you going to do about that idea of being yourself and what if it's not working out what Ooh. does that mean to work on yourself right yes i like that what if being yourself isn't working out we always have to improve you know the day that we can say i'm good well maybe you've become this enlightened spiritual master the likes of which none of us could ever reach (laughs) good for you but you know that's a it's not really a luxury that most people can afford yes exactly and I don't know, it's always nice to alter or want to alter your image in a way. Lastly, I was just going to say, and if you find, if you, if any of the viewers still find the whole altering image thing to be a negative, you know, idea, then don't think mm-hmm. about altering your image for other people. Alter your image yeah. for yourself. Yes. Yes. That, <sighs> you explained it perfectly. Yeah, Even you're not altering advice, but sometimes it still works no, out. No, it does. No, that I think that's actually good advice because that <laughs> is the difference when you're actually altering yourself um, for yourself and not for someone else. Then that's that's where it comes in. I like them. Okay, well, overall, this has been a lovely interview. I completely enjoyed every second of it we touched on many different subjects and areas um listen to you you're so eloquent like i strive to be as good with words as you are there are books on that i promise i mean there are books. (laughs) yes there are books about everything really (laughs) true i think this is a good place to end thank you for coming on you are quite the interesting person and i hope you all have learned a lot have new ideas and topics to research on and are going to go out and master the art of seduction and thank you guys for listening that is the new perspective That is the new perspective.